What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Cat Brooks. In May of 2019, motorist Ronald Green was pulled over and beaten to death by five police officers just north of Monroe, Louisiana. Those cops then spent years trying to cover it up, but to no avail. Last week, all five officers were arraigned in the first case prosecuting cops for murder in the history of the entire state of Louisiana. We are joined this morning by Ms. Mona Hardin, the mother of Ronald Green. She's been fighting to unearth truth and for justice in the name of her son since 2019. She just made it back to her home in Orlando, Florida, after an 11-hour drive from Farmerville, Louisiana, where she was present for the arraignment of the five Louisiana state troopers responsible for the murder of her son. Good morning, Mona. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining uh, us this morning. We are also joined uh, this morning by Marquel Bridges, who's an on-the-ground grassroots organizer for Justice for Ronald Green. Good morning, Marquel. Thank you for coming on the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And we are joined by John Belton, the district attorney for Louisiana's 3rd Judicial District, which represents Lincoln Parish and Union Parish in that state. He's a 30-year career prosecutor. Good morning, D.A. Belton. Good morning, and thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, all of you, for for coming. I know that we had uh, a very similar conversation yesterday. Mama Mona, as as I said yesterday, I always start with the humanity of the person who was stolen from us. And if you don't mind, uh, there's a bunch of new folks that should know about the light that your son is. Can you tell us about Ronald Green, please? Yes, uh, my son was very selfless. He was giving... From the time he could walk, he always cared, loved, laughed, his presence. He was he was a giving, giving, kind-hearted young boy. As he grew into manhood, uh, he, he, he was who he was. He has leaps and bounds. He loved sports. My family loved to dance. We were so active. Throughout everything we could get our hands on, we were so in the moment, applied ourselves. All my kids did sports. They swam. They were on Little League teams. Pop Warner back in California. Um, And it took us to where he is and where he died in Louisiana. Um, And I just want to say that he survived cancer, and we thought cancer would take him. Um three, four years prior to him being murdered by the Louisiana State Troopers. And we were just so proud that his cancer was in remission. And uh, we actually thought that they would be um, happily ever after. I was looking forward to my retirement. We were get, we were just in the midst of making plans, celebrating his 50th birthday, which would have been September 2019. <clears throat> and... Uh, Everything was just taken out from under us. Uh, Ronnie's friends, his, his classmates, everyone he grew up with, were still stuck on why. How could this happen? Um, I think of I think of his friends that are, they're they're so broken. Our family is broken that we became part of a statistic. As I'm hearing your introduction, this is our USA. 
this is how we live. And I want Louisiana to know this shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened to none of them prior to Ronnie, since Ronnie, that you took the core of my family. You took our happily ever after, and we have to rearrange what we do. I thank you so much. Um, Ronnie was good to this very last moment where he said, I'm your brother. This is what I want you to know, how giving he was. Thank you. Thank you, Mama Mona. Um, and I just want to uh, double down on what you just said. Those were, uh, I'm your brother, those were Ronald Green's last words. Uh, Marquel, uh, similar to yesterday on our Black Lives Matter grassroots black media call, can you walk us through what happened to Ronald Green? Warning to my listeners, um, it, it's, it's incredibly violent. Ronald Green, uh, May, 2019, May 10, 2019, Ronald Green uh, was traveling uh, to Texas through Formerville, Louisiana. Um, he supposedly, allegedly ran a stop sign, which um, made the Louisiana State Troopers get behind him. Um, right there at the Rocky Branch Church, the intersection, the crossroad. Um, we don't know if they fishtailed him or he lost control of his vehicle. He, he was stopped um, and spin around right there um, by a gate where they initially said um, for a year and a half they, they lied to the general public. I want to be very clear on this. The Louisiana State Troopers uh, former bill put PD was on the scene and the sheriff department all lied to the general public and to this family and said Ronald Green died in a car crash. Um, it wasn't until whistleblowers um, and the only good officer, the only good state trooper there is in Carl Cavalier, um, he decided to do the right thing. They tried to get him to delete the video. He refused. The video was released. And a year and a half later, the family to find out that he was, in fact, didn't die in the car crash. He was viciously beat, murdered, tased from the beginning of, of, of them encountering him and going up to his uh, driver's side door. They began to tase him. They began to beat him. Um, they put him in handcuffs and continued to tase, punch, beat. They stand on him like he was a dog, put their foot on him, mocked him, called him racial slurs. Uh, O.C. sprayed him in handcuffs, yanked his ankle shackles. Um, he was face down on the ground after a 45-minute beating for nine minutes. And you see various different officers come up, snatch him by the feet, trying to break his legs and just uh, trying to kill him. Uh, Ms. Mona said it best when she said he just, after watching that video, she just knew he didn't stand a chance. After they come, they come back, step on him. Once you hear one of the officers um, who beat him and had Ronald's blood on him use a racial stereotype and say, you better not give, have given me AIDS or we're going to beat you again. Um, so it was not just Louisiana State Troopers, F Troop on the scene. Formerville Police Department was on the scene. The sheriff was on the scene. And they all watched this black man be viciously beat and murdered for 45 minutes. And they all participated in the cover-up. Um, and some of these people are not even um, being held accountable on the charges because Louisiana doesn't have an intervene law like other states. And what that means is these police can watch a crime committed 
and not have to do the right thing, which is a tragedy all in itself. This is the most vicious and horrific beating I, I have seen um, prior to George Floyd. This was before George Floyd, um, but it was just horrific the way they treated him as if he, if he wasn't even a person. Just beating, beating, put the handcuffs in their hands and punched them with those, uh, choked them with the flashlight. The initial officer who pulled him over just choked him. You hear him gasping for air saying, I'm scared. I'm your brother. I'm scared. I'm your brother calling for God to, to help. He leaned on God to, to beat cancer. He told his mama he wasn't trusting the doctors. He was trusting God, and he practiced natural medicines and, and, and beat his cancer. He was a barber, a community leader. Everybody I asked, he was just a giving person, a heart full of gold. He was a mason. He was a man. And they treated him, and they killed him like an animal in the street. I'm gonna just Thank encourage you, my Go ahead, Mama Mona. No, I just want to thank Mark Quill. Well, did I get to say, Mark Quill, thank you. This is, this is what Louisiana you. does to our families. Thank you, Mark Quill. We're, we're literally living in shock. We're traumatized. The state of Louisiana and all the other states need to realize what you're doing to our families for no damn reason. We can't drive while black. We literally, if you see a car, a car that's tinted, we don't want you to see who's behind the wheel because we'll be purposely pulled over just for the hell of it. Thank you, Mark I'm sorry. No, you're no okay. No apologies. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark I'm sorry. I just want to let her know there's no apologies uh, needed on, the, on, on this show. Uh, this is your time and your space. And I thank you so much for sharing. Uh, the story of your son and Marquel, thank you so much for your work and for being here uh, to, to hold that piece of it so that she doesn't have to repeat it again and again. Um, District Attorney Belton, what charges are these five officers facing? Um, yes, and, and I agree with you. Ms. Mona, there's no need to apologize. Um, you have every right to say what what's on your heart and on your mind, and we support you. Um, the officers, uh, there's five officers, four state troopers and one deputy. Um, they were charged uh, on a range of charges uh, were from uh, negligent homicide to um, uh, malfeasance in office and obstruction of justice. Uh, some are charged with more counts versus the others. Um, and so we presented everything to a grand jury uh, we uh, we brought in an excessive use of force expert, the same expert that was in the George Floyd matter. He was highly recommended by Keith Ellison, who is the attorney general uh, for the state of Minnesota and who prosecuted the officer uh, in the George Floyd matter. Uh, they were, as you well mentioned, they were arraigned on this past Tuesday, uh, and now we're awaiting other dates uh, for motions, hearings, um, and then hopefully a trial date in the near future. Um, we have a number of um, defense attorneys, so we expect that they will file numerous motions, even one to try to quash the indictments. Of course, they're doing their jobs, uh, but we will vigorously prosecute and defend our case and uh, vigorously prosecute those who are accountable for the death 
of Mr. Ronald Green. D.A. Belton, what do you think the likelihood of conviction is and what kind of precedent could this possibly set for the rest of the state? Like, I, I still... I know how big of a state Louisiana is. I, I said yesterday uh, on the Colborough line, my family's from Monroe, so I, I've been to the area. Mm-hmm. I, it, mm-hmm. it is mind-blowing to me that this is the first time in the entire history of that whole big state that cops are being prosecuted. Uh, so to, from my mind, but I'm not an attorney, right, and I'm not looking at the legal landscape, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the question again. How likely do you think uh, a conviction is, and, and what kind of precedent could this set uh, for Louisiana? So, you know, when we were talking about indictments, I, I shared with the public at the um, Ronald Green House Committee uh, that I couldn't last, last year, that I could not guarantee indictments. It's unethical for me to guarantee indictments and it's unethical for me to guarantee any convictions um and so that would be inappropriate for me to 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 say that we will have convictions or we will not because the code of ethics does not allow me to say that um do we feel good about the case yes uh do we have some challenges yes but you know that's all legal because every law every state's different um as mark well mentioned earlier you know we don't have a failure to yield statute in Louisiana. Um, Minnesota has one. The federal government has failure, failure to, to, uh, to intervene. I'm sorry, failure to intervene statute. And um, so that, that's very, very important uh, in moving forward to prosecute those who stand by and, and don't intervene. Um, and, and unfortunately, we don't have that here. So um, we're, we're, we're using the statutes that we have, and unfortunately, they're not as strong as I would like them to be. But at the end of the day, I, I believe that I'll, I'll put it this way: I, I think we'll, we will be successful uh, in in holding the officers accountable. Marquel, we know that I, organizing. Oh, go ahead, Mama Mona. I I, I do want to uh, ask a question that's been overlooked: uh, Why is Corey York and John Clary still employed in spite of the indictment? Why hasn't Lamar Davis fired these two troopers? Mm-hmm. That That is a very good question. I can't answer that question because I'm not in charge of state police. That would be a question that Lamar Davis and or the governor would have to answer. Um, but I, I agree with you, um, and, I, and I support that same thought process. Do you all have, do you know, uh, uh, so in California, we've got something called POBRA, right? It's a police officer's bill of rights, and it serves to protect them. Basically, it lets them run rampant um, even when there's a process of accountability. They're allowed to stay employed. They get what they call paid administrative leave. I call paid vacation. Um, that, that Mama Mona, would, would be something to, to investigate because um, that may be why. And um, we've been trying to educate, APTP has been trying to educate some of our communities on these Peace Officers Bill of Rights. Most states have them, and a lot of times that's the place you want to target. Um to to that end, organizing, Marquel, organizing gets the goods. Can you talk about the on-the-ground efforts that you're doing as an organizer there? And I should just say, you're from Gulfport, Mississippi, so you, you, you came to Louisiana to, to fight for justice for Ronald Green and support uh, Mona Hardin. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, well, we're, we're personally, we're, we're community building. Every time we come into a community, uh, we want to leave it better. It's not for show. It's not to come in and stir things up. 
we want to come in and wake up the, the citizens of Farmerville, Bastrop, and surrounding area. Uh, we, we're coming in with heavy uh, voter registration. We need good people like D.A. Belding, who's not afraid to do the right thing. So my plan is to do plenty of voter registration for, for him um, in his pursuit of attorney general, for um, any good brother or, or sister or just decent human being who's not afraid to stand up. We're going to remove the old people and put the new people in, in, in place, but the right way by following the process, which is voting. We're going to do community building. And what this family needs most as far as the organized effort is court support. So we're going to pack the courtroom inside and outside. So the, the, the effort is to rally the community in, in an effort to do that and just support this family in whatever they need. Um, and, and by any means necessary. And I just want to be clear on something before we, we move past it. Um, can we give Miss Miss Mona the opportunity to run through the cover-up um, from beginning to now of, of the, the people she feels that, that lied and misled her uh, from beginning to now? Absolutely. Mark was like you in my head because that was actually the next question I was going to ask you, Mama Mona, you know, how you found out your son had passed and, and the initial narrative you were given and the lies that you were told uh, in, until that video came out. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, well, from May 10th, 2019, we were told that Ronnie was in an accident. Mama, he didn't make it. He died. And within hours, that's when we found out the cover-up. We were put in touch. State troopers, we made a call. They didn't have no answers. They turned us over to Abby Moon. Abby Moon, the coroner over in Union Parish, said she had no, nothing to give us. She sent Ronnie's body to be medically examined, first medical autopsy in Little Rock, Arkansas, to Frank Peretti. <clears throat> Abby Moon would not give us a name, an address, a phone number. We had to get all our resources the best way we can. And uh, we've been doing that up to this very moment. Uh, this has been work. This is how we've been living our lives for four years. Abby Moon, Ronnie had his first autopsy. Within hours, he was sent to a funeral home of our choice, which was Timothy Tennant. Timothy Tennant over there in the same parish, uh, in Union Parish, he's, he's right there, uh, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> That's where Ronnie was sent. He was supposed to hold Ronnie there till we have a second medical exam. And it happened on the sixth day. Timothy Tennant told us he would keep Ronnie in his refrigerated uh, mortuary, which was over in Bastrop. He did not do that. Upon the second medical exam, we had a medical examiner fly in on the sixth day. He told us that in the midst of him doing a second autopsy of Ronnie, um, a state trooper came in. He was, he was afraid. Uh, he was intimidated while doing his work. And uh, it was on the seventh day. We were told... We could come see Ronnie. Mind you, we actually saw Ronnie on the third day. Ronnie was killed on the 10th of May. Timothy Tennant wouldn't allow us to see Ronnie till three days later. And we found out that Ronnie was in his possession nine hours 
after the first autopsy. I mean, I'm sorry, at 9 p.m. that night, May 10th. So um, apologies for that. But he would not let us see Ronnie till that following Monday, which was the 13th. And when we did see Ronnie, I wanted to identify Ronnie by his tattoos. Um, he would not let us remove it. I said I didn't care about a white incision. I wanted to identify my son by his tattoos. We weren't allowed that. We went to see Ronnie, and Ronnie was flanked by two pretty husky dudes on left and right of Ronnie were allowed there. My two daughters, my granddaughter, my grandson, and a family friend. We took pictures, and that's what the public sees with me standing over Ronnie. On day 7 is when we did see Ronnie the second time. He would, have, he would not let us see Ronnie at all. He took my daughter's camera in there, took one picture, came out with it. And that's when he told us, you need to get your son off of my property, more or less, in so many words. Um, his employees are complaining of the stench. And uh, we were calling around for someone to embalm. We asked for the procedures. We have to get him embalmed. He would not embalm Ronnie. He said Ronnie was too badly decomposed. He could not embalm him. We called Shreveport Coroner's Office. They said they didn't have room. We called surrounding funeral homes. The situation surrounding Ronnie's death, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take Ronnie. And we had one funeral director told us why. Because of the situation of how Ronnie was killed by state troopers. And behind that, Ronnie was cremated. We had paper signs for him to be cremated. We, I was, I was, I couldn't believe I had to. That was our only way of getting Ronnie out of Louisiana. Through all that we were traumatized, Ronnie had to be cremated in order to get him out of Louisiana. And he wouldn't, we were going to stay there to see Ronnie. Actually, we wanted to see Ronnie being cremated. We were told we couldn't do that. And this is Timothy Tennant. And um, after he was cremated at the Monroe uh, Crematory, he was sent to us in an urn FedEx. And um, that was paid for by our friend who was also there at the time of the discussion. And my, my son sits above the fireplace right now in that urn. And this was not supposed to have been. The original story was Ronnie was killed in an accident. We made preparations to bring Ronnie back. The whole nine days of while we were there uh, turned into a nightmare that spanning into four years. This was happening in Louisiana and I find out uh, this is normal practice. This is what they do. Um, the um, coroners are the network. The coroners are side by side with state troopers because the narrative, as we connect with so many families, this is exactly what happens. And I want to also make a statement that um, all Ronnie's internal organs was missing. It was not in the bag that's supposed to be put in between the deceased legs. It was not in this bag 
Um, and I'm wondering, why did Little Rock, Arkansas have to keep my son's organs? That's another discussion, which was discussed from the very beginning. This isn't news. Everyone knew this the first year. This has been discussed. I've discussed this with D.A. Belton. I've discussed Abby Moon. I've discussed Timothy Tennant. I've sent this to the DOJ. When I say this is criminal activity, Louisiana State Troopers, this egregious behavior by all these entities, and it's never addressed. My email has never been addressed back to me. I've not had no reply. I've cc'd several people in my email, and this went to Kristen Clark, Brandon Brown, D.A. Belton, the legal team of this, because I, I feel no action. I feel... Nothing, my, none of my questions, none of this criminal activity. I don't want any stone left unturned. The fact that you have the top brass, Kevin Reeves, uh, you have uh, all the others, uh, Mike Noel, all the other top brass that resided over Ronnie's case. Everyone was allowed to retire, promoted. Jay Oliphant, you have all these, all these. I don't care what skin color you are. The maneuvering of these top officials, their stories behind all this silence. And it all needs to come to surface. In order for Louisiana to make sure this is done the right way, no stone, no stone should be left unturned because the behavior of Louisiana State Trooper and the crooked practices continues until all this top brass, not to mention Governor Edwards never reached in. No one. D.A. Delton is definitely the only one that I've spoke to. But other than that, no one else. I've sent an email to Tanner McGee from the special committee. When are we going to hear from Governor uh, John Bell Edwards? <clears throat> I've had conversation with Clay Shacksnader, and he told me pretty much that John Bell Edwards don't answer to nobody. Mm. And and up till now, you can see the silence as he's slowly tiptoeing into his retirement. So this right here, this needs to be unearthed. No one should be able to retire while the killing continues you have to address it from the top down that's the only or only way louisiana can write this wrong i thank you all thank you for walking us through all of that uh mama mona marquel building off of what she just said one of the things that i know from doing this work for so long right it's about justice for ronald green it's also about right never again um and so are there some policy demands or some shifts in practice uh that are part of the organizing campaign you were leading Definitely. I attended uh, the special committee uh, that, that she's referring to, and I, and I was actually in shock because I've never seen politicians and ex-police uh, officers who are now politicians condemning a police department. Everyone on the special committee talked 
something and called it murder. They called it what it was. They called it a lynching. They they talked about the corruption. They talked about all of the top brass who came in here and lied under oath. And yet, and still, the state of Louisiana is choosing not to hold anyone accountable uh, to speak to the nature of what Miss Mona meant to offer some clarity into the coroner. I fight these cases all around the nation, and they are complicit in the cover-up for the police. When these families are looking for autopsy reports, when these families are looking for details because the, the initial details conflict from what the police are saying and from what actually happened, the coroner is, in fact, helping them get away with this. They left. They purposely left Ronnie's body out so he could composed for all those days. They purposely took his organs so this family could not get a second autopsy. If it wasn't for the doctor telling Ms. Mona what the police are saying is not adding up with his injuries, she would never know. They lied to the general, the police, like everyone has to understand that the police lied to the general public for a year and a half from Governor Bell Edwards on down. They had all seen the video. That's this is we're not calling it corruption because this is something we're making up. They had all watched this video and participated in the cover up and went along with the narrative that he died in the car wreck. Think about how sick that is. But as far as the the, the man's we and, and, and policy, um one, I don't mean to take up too much time, but Lamar, the new chief over F troop is a black man. He's an African-American man. It's, it's, it is various bill of rights and bill and policies under policing. But what I do know is the firing and hiring of, of an officer is left to the chief discretion, that along with choosing who to, who to, who to prosecute and who to turn over to the DA. So the, the African-American chief could very well take a stance on this and fire those officers because he knows they're wrong. Now, they could go get another job but they would not be no longer employed by the Louisiana state troopers. That's at his discretion. And he's just not doing it. Everyone has passed the book. But um, once this convention happens, we plan on imp- implement some of the same things you've seen in George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, preventative um, legislation to prevent this from happening to any other black and brown or marginalized people. Okay, I know there is so much more to talk about and say, and we will bring you back. We'll be tracking uh, this case. Uh, Mama Mona, I look forward to being in space with you soon. Same with you, Mark Wells. Same with you, D.A. Belton. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, D.A. Belton. Thank you, Do I have time to say one thing? Or not? Uh, yeah, you got 30 seconds. <laughs> or 60 seconds. I'll give you 60 um, seconds. Go for Okay, so, Marquel, um, I got a call from a local pastor, and he, he, in his own words, he was convicted that there was not enough, not, not any local pastors there in support of Ms. Mona. Uh, and so I think on the 12th, you, um, that's going to be different. Um, so I just want to thank you all for being there and, and, and the support. Thank you, so thank you so much. You're not alone, DA Bell. Fully in your pursuit of justice. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Call, I want to. I want to know what the call to action for May 12th is, but I'll get at you offline so we can signal boost it. And I think I may come down with uh, Sister Molina. So. Thank you, Kat. All right, take care. Oh, all right y'all. Take care. Now. <laughs> 
You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.